Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. In the wake of tragedy, there can be a legacy that will last for centuries. On February 28, 1905, a woman died in a mysterious case that still leaves many puzzled. A woman whose death did nothing to stop her legacy and her connection to one of the most prestigious universities in this country. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Jane Elizabeth Lathrop Stanford was born on August 25, 1828 in Albany, New York. Joining in a large family, Jane attended the Albany Academy for Girls, the longest-running girls' day school in the country. And after marrying a man named Leland Stanford in September of 1850, she relocated to Port Washington, Wisconsin, after her husband's law library and other property were lost in a tragic fire. Years later, they returned to Albany, and Leland, like many in this time period, was enticed by the idea of the California gold rush and went to join his brothers in the mercantile business across the country. Leaving Jane behind with her family, he returned in 1855, and the following year, the couple moved to San Francisco so Leland could pursue the mercantile business at a much larger scale. He eventually co-founded the Central Pacific Railroad, serving as its president from 1861 until his death in 1893, was the president of the Southern Pacific Railroad, served as the governor of California from 1862 until 1863, and was a U.S. Senator from California from 1885 until his passing. And Jane, standing by his side through it all, became the eighth First Lady of California. In the middle of all their wild success, the couple welcomed their first son on May 14, 1868. Unfortunately, the young boy contracted typhoid at the age of 15 and passed away while the family was in Florence, Italy. Jane and Leland were absolutely devastated, but out of the tragedy came inspiration to open one of the most well-known institutions in this country, one everyone has heard about, the prestigious Stanford University. Seeking a way to immortalize their beloved son, before leaving Europe in April of 1884 with his remains, Jane and Leland changed their wills in order to give everything they had to a proposed institute in Palo Alto. By November of the next year, they had created foundational plans for the Leland Stanford Junior University, which opened on October 1st, 1891. And after her husband's death on June 21st, 1893, Jane herself took over the university and its continued growth. Like most fledgling organizations, the university struggled financially during this time period, and the appointed trustees advocated for its temporary closure until tax and legal issues could be resolved. Eventually, things took an upward swing, 
Jane continued to work as its co-founder, and she collected about $10,000 a month from the school. Under her control, Stanford University gained an early focus on the arts, and in a move that was pretty bold for the time period, Jane fought to allow women admission into the school, and it was considered co-educational since its founding. Taking a strong position on the issues of academic freedom, she had Stanford University economist Edward A. Ross, a man who made racist comments against Chinese Americans and outlined eugenics policies against Chinese people and other racial groups, fired from his position. Traveling to London in 1897 in hopes of selling her rubies and other jewels to fund the university, Jane was incredibly dedicated to the school that she helped found. And in 1905, she directed Stanford's trustees to sell all of her jewels upon her death to use them as a permanent endowment, quote, to be used exclusively for the purchase of books and other publications. A chunk of money that, though originally $500,000, is now worth about $20 million. It was named the Jewel Fund, and those who contribute are referred to as members of the Jewel Society. Basically, Jane Elizabeth Lathrop Stanford was a woman who set out to achieve her goals, and without that tenacity, there wouldn't be a Stanford University. She founded, funded, and operated it almost single-handedly until her tragic and unsolved murder in 1905. On January 14, 1905, at her Knob Hill mansion in San Francisco, Jane came into her room and found the usual bottle of Poland Spring mineral water. Upon drinking it, however, she soon noted an unfamiliar bitter taste. She quickly forced herself to vomit, with prompting an assistance from her maid. And when both she and her secretary agreed that the water did taste strange, Jane sent it off to a pharmacy to be analyzed. A few weeks later, when the results finally came in, Jane learned that the bottled water she drank that night had been poisoned with a lethal dose of strychnine. Worried for her life, Jane, vowing never to return, moved out of her home as suspicion landed squarely on the maid, Elizabeth Richmond. Though there were reports that Elizabeth, prior to the poisoning, told stories to other staff of English aristocrats being poisoned by their servants, she was later dismissed as a suspect. Wanting to know more, Jane discreetly hired the Harry Morse Detective and Patrol Agency, and Elizabeth was placed under surveillance while the Bay Area pharmacy records were diligently searched for any suspicious strychnine purchases. Finding none, the agency did find out that the mansion was wrought with petty staff jealousies and drama, but none of it pointed to a potential suspect. With no motive found, Jane, slipping into a depression and suffering from a cold, decided to sail to Hawaii with plans to continue on to Japan. She left San Francisco on February 15, 1905, and made her way to Honolulu with hopes of rest and recuperation. In addition to the thoughts concerning the attempted poisoning, Jane was plagued by doubts on whether or not the university's president, David Starr Jordan, was the right man to lead the institution. With all of that going on, she arrived at the Moana Hotel on the evening of February 28, 1905. Asking for a bicarbonate of soda to settle her woozy stomach, Jane's personal secretary, Bertha Burner, a trusted employee of more than 20 years, 
and the only person who was with her on the island that was also present during the spring water incident, prepared the drink and handed it over to her employer. At 11.15 p.m. that evening, Jane could be heard crying out for her servants and the hotel staff, begging them to call a physician, claiming she had lost control of her body and feared she had been poisoned for a second time. Unable to induce vomiting this time, according to retired Stanford neurologist Robert Cutler in his book, The Mysterious Death of Jane Stanford, upon arrival, the hotel physician, Francis Howard Humphreys, attempted to administer a solution to the agonized woman who cried out that her jaw was stiff and that, quote, this is a horrible death to die. She was then seized by a spasm that eventually progressed to a state of, quote, severe rigidity, and her limbs seemed to clench and lock in twisted up and deformed positions. That's when her breathing stopped altogether, and Jane Elizabeth Lathrop Stanford passed away. The victim of a second, and this time successful, strychnine poisoning. With both an investigation and a coronial inquiry beginning immediately following her death, Forensic chemical analysis revealed the presence of pure form of strychnine in samples from the bicarbonate soda, as well as traces of the poison in her tissues. After three days of testimony, the jury concluded in less than two minutes' time that Jane was delivered the deadly poison via the bottle of bicarbonate soda with, quote, felonious intent by persons unknown. The bottle in question had been purchased in California after Elizabeth Richmond had already been fired from her position and every single person in her residence prior to the trip had access to it, meaning there was a pretty long list of potential suspects. While their decision seemed pretty straightforward, the jury's quick verdict would prove to be controversial, with the New York Times stating the verdict was, quote, written out with the knowledge and assistance of Deputy High Sheriff Rollins, implying that the jury members had been coached into their decision. Things got even more complicated when the university's president, David Starr Jordan, whom Jane was unsure of in the final moments of her life, sailed to Hawaii himself and hired a local doctor, Ernest Coniston Waterhouse, to dispute her cause of death. He then reported to the press that Jane had, in fact, died of heart failure and not poisoning, a, quote, medically preposterous diagnosis given the symptoms that she suffered from. And thus, he muddied the facts in the case as they would be presented in future history books. Leading many more modern scholars to wonder if David Starr Jordan was covering up the true nature of Elizabeth Stanford's death. But why exactly would he do that? According to the sources, David and Elizabeth had a long and difficult relationship and at the time of her death, she was already planning on his removal from the coveted position. She was a woman who treated the university with the, quote, commanding meddlesome love which an unbridled maternal instinct thrusts upon an only child, involved herself in all the daily management of the university, and when she disapproved of a faculty member or their methods, she told David Jordan to oust them. Then she began having second thoughts about the president himself, and had found a faculty confidant, German professor Julius Goebel, to keep a paper trail on him. So did David Jordan get wind of all of this and kill the woman who held his job in her hands and kept the university under her thumb? Did he then travel all the way to Honolulu 
and cover up his involvement by trying to prove the whole thing was nothing more than a heart condition, going as far as to publicly accuse the hotel physician of adding strychnine into the bicarbonate of soda after Jane died. It seemed that David Starr Jordan was doing whatever he could to try and cover up the mysterious death of Jane Stanford. Though he denied making such derogatory statements when confronted directly by the physician, he never publicly corrected his judgments and left many to run with the new, altered version of the truth. Whatever his reasons were, in order to avoid bad press for the university and any gossip about the staff, the cover-up became such a success that historians largely overlooked the fact that Jane was murdered until the 1980s. To this day, however, the official story remains that she died of heart failure, though many have spent their lives trying to disprove the theory and instead unmask a centuries-old cover-up. In the year 2022, Stanford University historian Richard White concluded that Jane Stanford was likely poisoned, not by the disgruntled president of the school, but by her trusted employee, Bertha Burner the only person present at both poisonings. According to his claim, the first attempt on Jane's life was likely intended to be non-fatal, and that David Jordan and the San Francisco police likely suspected Bertha from the very beginning, but for one reason or another, decided to cover the whole thing up. Having been with the family for decades, Bertha Burner did walk away from her time at the Stanford residence with $15,000 from her former employer's will, a total of about $100,000 in today's money. Though she was considered an unreliable witness with a story that didn't quite match up with the known facts of the case, her involvement remains nothing more than speculation. There is no way to prove or disprove if she was the murderer. Just like there's no way to prove or disprove the theory that Faced with financial worries for the university, Jane Stanford might have taken her own life to secure their future with her estate. What we do know is that the source of the strychnine has never been identified, and that Jane's case, though officially listed one way, remains unsolved to this day. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to A Terrible Thing Happened on February 29th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.